to Tape Heads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tape Heads is the podcast where we watch a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it and then we talk about it. So this was my pick. Uh, it was not a movie that I had actually seen before. And I didn't really think it was a good choice, but I wanted you to watch what you wanted. Well, I wanted to commemorate our wedding in some way. And I thought a rom-com, wedding-themed, was appropriate. Uh, We'd watched Pretty Woman previously on the podcast, which I think we liked okay. And I thought, okay, well, this is the reunion of Julia Roberts and Richard Gere, much like one of our favorite movies, You've Got Mail, was the reunion of Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. I thought maybe this is secretly the better of the two. No. (laughs) (laughs) All that I knew about Runaway Bride is it came out in the late 90s. It was reuniting Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. And it was one of those like big budget star driven rom-coms that's not really made anymore. Yeah. It was a huge hit. Monster hit. It was made for $70 million, which is a huge budget for this kind of movie. You don't really see that anymore. Made $152 million domestically, $157 million overseas for a total of $309 million worldwide. Yeah, that's a lot of dough. I was surprised that you wanted to watch this because you were so hard on Richard... I mean, we both were. On Richard Gere in Pretty Woman. So I just didn't expect you to want to watch another one of these. My thing with Richard Gere is... I always feel like, well, maybe I just don't get it. You know, like maybe if I see the right Richard Gere movie, I'll become a gearhead, you know, (laughs) like everyone else. But I think this might be the film that finally tells me unequivocally, I don't like Richard Gere very much. Yeah, I was talking to a friend about this movie recently, and I said there's just something so hateable about Richard Gere, and you kind of just sit there wishing that it was a different actor. I think we said this in Pretty Woman, too. Like, what if Tom Hanks was in this role or somebody similar? Or, you know, Joan Cusack is in this movie as the friend, and she often appears in movies with her brother, John. Yeah. I feel like he's good. John Cusack is good at playing this kind of character, the kind of urbane, uh, lovable asshole sort of character. That's basically what Richard Gere is in this movie. He's supposed to be a lovable asshole, but he's just kind of a jerk, and you don't really get why you're supposed to like him that much. We'll talk about this more, but I'd say the big problem with this movie is that neither protagonist is really that likable or relatable. No. And you're kind of just stuck with like, well, who am I supposed to be identifying with here? Yeah, where in Pretty Woman, you at least find you can kind of identify with her and find her sympathetic. Mm-hmm. And you, you care through about the events of the film. Yeah. So Richard Gere plays his character Ike. He uh, is a famous journalist or our op-ed writer, I guess. Yeah, and it's interesting because he's in USA Today, and you took issue with this. You were wondering well, why he wasn't a New York Times writer, but well, we're introduced to him walking down the streets of New York, and everybody knows him. Like the construction workers, like, "Hey, Ike, I read that piece you wrote." Like it's kind of that relationship with him. Yeah. He goes to his local watering hole, and there's like a picture of him on the wall. It's like, would New Yorkers really celebrate someone who writes for USA Today? But my argument is, he has to write for something like USA Today because the people in this podunk town that she's from, that Julia Roberts is character is from are not going to be reading the New York Times. They're going to be reading whatever their paper is with the USA Today insert. That makes sense to me. I mean, they I guess they wouldn't really be uh, reading the New York Times in, what is it? Uh, Hale, Maryland, which is a real town. It looks kind of... I When we first watched this, I thought it was like the Universal Backlot or like where they shoot Gilmore Girls and Pretty Little Liars, like that set. But it is a real town called Berlin, Maryland. Can I interject and say that Richard Gere thought he was too good for this town and he insisted on staying somewhere 15 miles away because he didn't want to be in the sticks? Yeah, not Richard Gere's character, Ike, but the actor (laughs) Richard Gere. The actual actor. So then then I'm just finding other reasons to believe that he always comes off as a jerk. 
Maybe he is a jerk. I, He's friends with the Dalai Lama, though. The thing is, I this maybe this is part of why I want to like Richard Gere, is because he had that awful, totally not true, and anatomically impossible sex rumor passed around about him for years. Yeah. And then, yeah, the Dalai Lama thing is just the latest hardship that he's faced in that, for those that don't know, he has a friendship with the Dalai Lama, and he's very vocal about the Free Tibet movement. And because China and Hollywood have this, like, increasingly incestuous relationship, it's getting harder and harder for him to get roles in big Hollywood movies. Like, you're not going to see Richard Gere in, like, a Marvel movie anytime soon. Yeah. Because the, China, which is such a huge market, would not have a Richard Gere movie on their screens. Yeah. But not to continue to sideline your synopsis of the movie, <laughs> we've watched Pretty Woman and we've watched this movie, and I've come away thinking I really dislike how Richard Gere plays these characters. I just find him so unlikable. And I wonder if he's taking that into other roles where he's just not... I mean, he was a big actor at one time. People loved him. But I don't know if maybe his persona or what he's bringing to these roles isn't a lasting thing. And that's why he's also seeing a decline. You know, an actor I would contrast him with is Michael Douglas. Because if you think about the roles that Michael Douglas had in the 80s and 90s, Wall Street... Basic Instinct, Fatal Attraction. He was always playing like sort of a sleaze ball, and he was very good at it. It seemed like he liked playing these kind of characters that were kind of sleazy and unlikable, but he was able to transition to really likable roles too. I feel like he's an actor who could have been caught in this Richard Gere trap of sort of always carrying this kind of stench with him wherever he goes from role to role, but I feel like he's been able to avoid that in a way that Richard Gere hasn't. But he's also built, a, he, he has this lovability factor. Like if you watch uh, Romancing the Stone, he plays that sort of sleazeball, but you mm -hmm. love him for it. And I think that was a big role for him because he was sort of able to show that other side to himself. Yeah, and that's kind of a transitional role. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think the, the problem with Richard Gere, and we talked about it a lot with regards to this movie, I can't think of many films that he's been in that if I was to sub out another actor, the movie would not improve. I mean, really, they would all improve. Although any movie improves if you swap one of the actors with Tom Hanks. Yes, I'd it's say so. It's a universal rule. Mm -hmm. Like, even what I'd say is probably Richard Gere's best performance, Chicago... I feel like if you had a sing and dance in Tom Hanks in that role, it's a better movie. <laughs> uh, he is good in Chicago, though. He is good. I will, I will give the devil his due. <laughs> Before we go any further into the plot of this movie, we do have the albatross around our necks of the mini trailers that were on this tape. Oh, well, yeah. well, trailers and. There's a big band on the top of this VHS box that says Paramount Pictures Special Edition. You could sort of sense that they're feeling the heat from the DVD market and having to like market these tapes. It's like, oh, there's special content on here. Not like, special features. Yeah, there's special stuff on here. So we'll get to that. That's, uh, that's after the credits. But we kick things off with a Rugrats in Paris ad. I, I don't really give a shit about Rugrats in Paris. Do you have anything to say about this? No, not yeah. really. It's just the Rugrats. Were you a Rugrats Paris. kid growing up? I watched it some, but I mostly watched Nickelodeon at my grandma's house because for whatever reason, I think she just thought, oh, I should have Nickelodeon on for the kids mm -hmm. when I would go visit if she didn't have the tennis <laughs> <laughs> matches on. But um, I usually watched Disney Channel and Cartoon Network at home. So I didn't watch... I, I would occasionally watch Nickelodeon stuff, but, like, I was late to st SpongeBob. I mm -hmm. didn't really watch a lot of that. We didn't have cable growing up, and so I would absorb Nickelodeon from, like, friends' houses and uh, in hotel rooms. And I found, like, there's a very short window where I was into Rugrats, as opposed to, like, Are You Afraid of the Dark, which I'm fascinated with to this day. 
or like the adventures of pete and pete like just yeah. other nickelodeon shows were more interesting to me and it's funny that this was the one that seemed to really take off i will say i was really into nick at night i was also into vault disney which they sadly discontinued but nick at night they would put on like clueless i think they used to show on nick and I would watch it that way. The Clueless TV show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. But yeah, I remember uh, the other the other show that I loved that was on Nickelodeon was All That, which was essentially the kids' version of Saturday Night Live. And I remember it being amazing. That's where Keenan and Kel came from. Oh yeah. But I have not actually revisited that to know if it's really any good. <laughs> And then there is one of these montage ads that we get so many of. This one's bad, though. This one drove you up a wall. So picture this. Think of all these, like, catalog Paramount titles. Sabrina, IQ, An Officer and a Gentleman, Chinatown. Like, not really movies that have anything in common except for the fact that they're all Paramount movies. Some of them are dramas. They show us action movies. There are thrillers. There are comedies. There are romance. Spanning, like, 50, 60 years of film history. The one thing that they have in common is basically it's just close-ups of the leading lady's face. Like maybe it's Audrey Hepburn, maybe it's Barbara Streisand, maybe it's Glenn Close. Set to this slow romantic music. And so right away you're like, and just like the title of the movie and like Times New Roman under their face. And it's like, okay, well this is interesting. We're just fading in and out of close-ups of different actresses' faces. And then it's like Grease 2, and you see Michelle Pfeiffer, and it's like, okay, they're really reaching here. Uh, there's quite a bit, there's quite a bit of like Sabrina, and both versions of Sabrina. Yes. So you get both Audrey Hepburn and Calista Flockhart? No, that's not her. It's Wait, somebody who's, else. <laughs> who's in the, maybe, I don't, I, maybe I, it's because Harrison Ford is in it that I made that yeah. jump. I don't know who the name of the actress in it, but it's definitely not close to Flockhart. <laughs> okay, my bad. But, oh, they even do Fatal Attraction, which is a very odd choice for this, since that's like a stalker obsession movie. Yeah, and they're just doing a zoom in of what's-her-name crossing her legs. Yeah. We're just, like, on the edge of our seats, and it's like, what corny tagline are they going to have to tie all this crap together? And finally, it just says, take home the woman of your dreams. Bullshit. I hated this ad. Explain why this drove you crazy. Because they're very, very obviously objectifying these women. So it's not about the characters, not about the movies, nothing about the actual stories or what these actresses are trying to portray. It's literally just all about, look at all these pretty ladies, uh, go buy one and watch her for your just own enjoyment. Which, I mean, you know... Movies are for enjoyment, but just the messaging is so terrible. Find her wherever VHS tapes are sold. That pissed me off. Um, but wait, wait. It says stay tuned for a special presentation after the film. And we're treated to a pretty bad Dixie Chicks music video. I like the Dixie Chicks. This is not one of their better songs. It's ready to run from the Runaway Bride soundtrack. It's clear that they did this video just for the movie. They're all in wedding dresses, running from their three grooms, and they jump fences, ride bikes, pools. And then it seems like they all get together at the end and maybe they get married. I mean, that music video is harder to follow than this movie, I feel like. And then... So to make it extra special, they have an extra presentation afterwards all about Paramount in the 1950s. It's like a history of Paramount to sort of sell you on their movies from the 1950s, which you thought it was really funny that, and it is funny, that they start out talking about Sunset Boulevard. Which is such a dark, like, skewering of Hollywood. And like, like to this day, like a very bleak movie. And they talk about a place in the sun. They they take credit for Audrey Hepburn. Well, as I guess they should because she got her start in Roman Holiday and then Sabrina. Um, but man, this 50s revival in the 90s is really in full yeah. swing. But it's interesting because it's, it's, it's essentially a long commercial for 
hey, go watch Paramount Pictures. Yeah, it's it's pitched as like, oh, let's tell you some film history, but it's only about Paramount. And they, I mean, in addition to doing some of their classic movies, like Roman Holiday and Sunset Boulevard, they're also, like, pumping up some, like, notoriously bad movies. Like, The Greatest Show on Earth, which is often considered to be the worst film that won Best Picture. Oh, really? Yes. I mean, that's back when, you know, color was kind of this somewhat new thing. And, you know, you'd go see these, like, big, extravagant bloated color features in CinemaScope and like it didn't really matter what happened in it as long as it was visually interesting. You know, the kind of things that people blame modern movies for. Interesting. Quick question. Do you consider Lawrence of Arabia bloated? Did that come out in the 50s? I do not think it's bloated. I think okay, it, I, I, think it <laughs> I think it earns each and every one of those four hours, but that's another conversation. Yeah, because that film is majestic. Yes, let's table Lawrence of Arabia and talk about another classic, Runaway Bride. Okay. Perfect transition. <laughs> yeah, uh, super related. <laughs> so directed by Gary Marshall. So this is very much a reunion in the mold of You've Got Mail. And Gary Marshall loves reunions. We addressed this yeah. in the Pretty Woman episode, how he loves just bringing back the same people mm-hmm. over and over again. Hector Elizondo is in this movie, one of his mainstays. Yeah. Yeah, the bartender in this film is also the stylist in The Princess Diaries, and he's in some other Gary Marshall films, too. Mm -hmm. It it has a real, like, getting the band back together sort of feel, but curiously, like, Pretty Woman is an R-rated movie, and it has some edge to it. Not a lot of edge, but... It's still like, you know, it's a movie about a prostitute. It's a, it's a grown-up movie. Yeah. For a second, I was trying to remember why it was an R-rated movie. Because I, I feel like nowadays, would it be an R-rated movie just to have a movie about a prostitute? I can't remember. I think they say fuck and, like, I there's, think there's some language. And I think there's, yeah. like, probably some adult situations. But, I guess so. Like, it's not as hard-edged as it could have been, that story. But it's, yeah. like... And this is going, skipping right past PG-13 and going PG. Like, this is very much like, bring the whole family to Runaway Bride. He's got his boxing gloves on. Everything's softened. (laughs) Yeah. Which isn't necessarily like, again, like, You've Got Mail as a PG movie. I'm not going to hold that against it. I feel like right off the bat, there's something kind of a little too glossy, a little too safe about all of this. Considering, like, what the subject matter is. Yeah. This was a movie that was in production and went through different hands, different directors for 10 years. Yes. A lot of different cast attached to different times. Um, Sandra Bullock was involved at one time. Harrison Ford was involved. I would have loved to see the Harrison Ford movie. Actually, the Harrison Ford, Sandra Bullock version of this movie could be good. Could be really good, although the age difference is a little... Yeah, well, it didn't stop Sabrina, him and... What's her name? Well, yeah, but I mean, that's because in the original Sabrina, it was Humphrey Bogart. Mm-hmm. What's her name? Yeah, the, the, yeah, Cat- the age difference yeah. is baked in. Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. So, really quick, what this movie's about, since we haven't really said yet. I mean, I guess the title kind of sums it up. But Julia Roberts plays Maggie. And at the start of the movie, Maggie has had three different weddings to a priest named Brian, to a musician... Well, not a priest well, not originally. A, not a priest at the time. She drove him to the priesthood. Although, no, that's not he, fair. But yeah, each of the three weddings sort of has a theme. So okay. let's bear with me for a sec. Because Brian had a church wedding. And later we find out he's a priest. She leaves him at the altar. She runs out of the church. Yeah. Later, she is at a wedding for this musician named Gil, who's sort of a hippie. It's sort of an outdoorsy yeah. wedding. I think it's telling that you said it's a wedding for the musician, not a wedding to the musician. Yes, which is a big theme of this movie. And then the third one, I can't remember the name of the guy who who sort of kicks this whole thing off, who's at the bar, but he he basically has a horse-themed wedding. Well, he's an Englishman, so it's kind of like this countryside, majestic sort of like romantic mm. in the woods thing. She's riding like in on a horse. Like sort of a, a Jane horse. Austen sort of... But, I don't think they would have done that in the Jane Austen days, oh, riding yeah. in on a horse. Like a 1999 idea of yeah, sure. English countryside wedding. So the movie starts with her 
in uh, it's actually a great image i think it's like u2 is playing uh julia roberts is in this beautiful wedding dress on a horse she's whipping her horse with her bouquet i'm thinking okay if it's 1999 and i go to a movie called runaway bride i'm already getting my money's worth right like okay. we're, we're thrown into this world it's like i've already got my runaway bride they're, they're not wasting their time here but yeah then it cuts to new york and we meet richard Gere's character ike who you're saying is a beloved New Yorker who writes for the USA Today. Everybody reads his stories. He, they got his face in the article, so you know who he is. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of hard up for a new story, and he doesn't know what to write. And they establish that he's a bit of a womanizer. He's got this bar that he's a regular at. He goes there just during the day, and he hits on women. And so it's at this bar that he meets the would-be third husband Englishman who has some shit to talk. Yeah, he's sort of like, well, I got a story for you sort of thing. Yeah. So without really, like, checking in the validity of what he's talking about. He just takes this Englishman who's day drinking at his word. Yeah. So he just writes this article about a woman who keeps going down the aisle and keeps running away from this commitment. Right, and he probably writes it really preachy and jerky and... The way Richard Gere would write this article. It essentially creates this extremely embarrassing situation for her because she's engaged to would-be husband number four. And everybody in her town is talking about this new article that she's now a national sensation for running away from her fiancés. We don't... Really, it's not really clear what the inaccuracies are in the article. Yeah, we just hear that there's it. It was off base. Mm-hmm. Like clearly, the the day drinker had exaggerated some things. Yes. So she writes into USA Today, and boom, Ike is fired just like that. And he yep. they print an apology, and um, she feels vindicated. She feels vindicated by all this. Yes. And we start to get a little bit of an idea of her life. She's engaged yet again um, to Bob Kelly. This, again, like one of these like 90s rom-com characters who's like, here's his one character trait. He loves, he's a coach and he loves sports. And he talks only in sports analogies. But this movie doesn't need him to be a well-developed character Mm -hmm. because we're not supposed to care about him. Because she has to leave him for Richard Gere and we need to be excited about it. Which I feel like the movie kind of fails with. I identify more with Bob Kelly than I do with Ike. You do like sports. Well, I mean, I think that he's a likable character. Like, he's... Yeah. They don't make him awful. He's really nice. Like, and I, I think mean, this, is the, this is a failure in Maid of Honor, which is a movie that I deeply, deeply hate. Is that one that you made me watch? Did no, we watch that we, together? we have not watched that together. I... I don't know if I can ever watch that again in my life. Is Patrick Dempsey like your Richard Gere? Is he someone that you just can't stand? Yeah, I really, I don't hate people, but I just hate anything he's in. I did like Grey's Anatomy okay, but it was because he's not the only person in it. You liked it in spite of him. Yes. Interesting. But in Maid of Honor, they fail to make the the, the rival love interest unlikable so that you... You actually feel really bad for him. He's a super nice guy, and the and Patrick Dempsey's character is kind of like Richard Gere, where he's a bit of a jerk. You don't really think, oh, wow, I'd love to be with that guy myself. You, you just think, man, this guy needs some self-improvement. I think this is something that, like, Nancy Myers movies do better. Yes. Like, it's kind of like... You can you can tell like Nancy Myers likes her bad boys. Like Jack Nicholson <laughs> is always playing a bad boy in her movies, but he's ultimately like redeemable. With Ike, it's like obnoxious New Yorker uh like stereotype and like there's really nothing else there. He ends up caring about Julie Roberts's character, but the flip is so quick mm. that you just don't really buy it. And it's interesting because I think of movies like You've Got Mail where Tom Hanks is playing a character where he actually destroys her business. He is big business killing small businesses 
and yet you love him because they give him all these different little likable qualities. You know, he has a dog and a really great relationship with his dog. He's really sweet with his sibling and uncle who are way younger than him yeah. because his family's really messed up. They manage to give a, enough details to make him real and lovable that it works. And I think, obviously, the actor himself just sells it better. But I think this movie is missing some of those details to make Richard Gere more lovable. Well, let me ask you this. Imagine you've got mail with Richard Gere in the Tom Hanks role. Is he still likable? No. <laughs> no. So I think that's part of the problem here. I think that there's a way to, to salvage this movie. I, I think the premise of it... I mean, we haven't gotten to the actual premise yet, but and we will, I promise. But I think the general, like, one-line thing about this movie, where a journalist travels to the hometown of this woman who's notorious for leaving her grooms at the altar to find out what's going on and falls for her, I think that that could be a great romantic comedy. But I think that there's some serious problems here besides Richard Gere's casting, which I think we're on the same page on. That, right. That stop it from working. But I think there's things that get added in. But to go back to the story. Right. He's out of a job and he's looking for redemption. Who else do you turn to than your ex-wife's husband who you're best friends with? See, this one's really weird. So, yeah, his ex-wife, by the way, is Rita Wilson, and her husband, his best friend, is Hector Elizondo. Well, I don't... See, this is the thing. I don't think it's his best friend. I think he has no friends. So there's that. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with... I think people can be friends with their exes, and there's no issue there. I, You know, I've seen that a lot. You can have healthy relationships. But it's funny in this case because Richard Gere's character seems to be totally into it, and finds Hector to be his good friend but for Hector's character I feel like he's just kind of wary of Richard Gere thinking does he want my wife back and so he has he even makes little comments here and there about how he's worried about that and he stresses about that and I think he tolerates Richard Gere for his wife who is still friends with him and he has a celebration at the end when Richard uh, when Richard Gere's character finally gets into a relationship because he suddenly has his weight lifted off him because he doesn't feel the threat of his wife being taken away anymore. And he should feel threatened. I mean, that scene with Rita Wilson and Richard Gere on the piano, like there's more chemistry between the two of them in that scene than there is between Gere and Julia Roberts in the whole movie, I feel like. Like, there's sparks flying there. And you buy that they yeah. were once married. But I feel like they had some chemistry in Pretty Woman, and I don't know why it doesn't work here, and I don't know if it's a failing of the story itself and the characters just not syncing up, because I, as a viewer, don't believe it. I wonder if the actors just didn't really feel it either. I think Pretty Woman is a better screenplay, and I also feel like it's a little more grounded. Like, this is... I mean, the big question, that, and indeed, like, the script was written over the course of 10 years, and a lot of different writers, including Elaine May, came in to, like, try and tweak different things. The thing that I feel like they never quite nailed is why she keeps running away, and they do give an explanation for it, and it involves eggs, and we'll get into that later. <laughs> but I feel like that is, a, is a, an issue, because not only did she ditch three different grooms, well... As it ends up, I guess, five grooms total over the course of the movie. Yes. Uh, yes. It ends up being five, although she comes back to the fifth. I will say for the fourth one, it's before the ceremony. That's true. But still, like, it's during a rehearsal, so it's very similar. Yeah. But she keeps all of the engagement rings, too. Which that's the thing is that crazy. That's not okay. There's a scene where where she's like, "Well, let me show you all the rings. This one's from Gil. This one's from Brian." Yeah, the rule is simple. If you break it off, you give the ring back. And I think she says even one of them is from their family. That's crazy. And it's just so awful, and it makes you not really like her. And I think Again, that's another challenge. You you need to like both of them for this to work. I think another thing is 
This is a $70 million movie, so it's just dripping with production value. And, but this hurts, again, this premise in a way, because each of these weddings is huge and lavish. The luau that is thrown for them before the fourth wedding yeah. is enormous. Like, it's a Hollywood production designer just, like, spraying production value everywhere. So it sort of seems like each one of these weddings... And the, you know, accompanying rehearsal dinners and everything. Right. It's probably like a hundred to $200,000 each time. Easily. Easily. In this podunk town, which is a logic thing that Does is it? also hard to get over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I guess we're getting sidetracked again. So, it's hard not to get sidetracked to this movie because it has so many little things that got under my skin. <laughs> I do get a little nostalgic for the big budget 90s rom-com in the sense that so much care is to put into every little thing, like production design-wise. Like, yeah. there's a scene where that stands out in my mind. It's a short scene, but Richard Gere's in the bakery. This is when he gets invited to the luau by her friend. Like, we get the sense that it's Halloween because there's, like, this animatronic pumpkin that's, like, yeah. opening up and screaming and, like... The production designer put so much care and thought into each little Halloween decoration at the bakery. It's a beautifully designed movie. It's a movie. beautiful looking movie. And that's the level of like care and production value that you would not see in a modern rom-com. For a lot of different reasons. Like the collapse of the star system. Like You can't really yeah. like just sell this kind of movie on two big actors anymore for various reasons. But, like, it's nice to see this level of production value in such a, like, a quote-unquote, like, small-scale story. Yeah. His ex-wife's husband, uh, Fisher, played by Hector Elizondo, is giving him this second chance. He has a connection with a magazine that's going to let Richard Gere write another article to prove out that he was mostly right. So there's some stakes here. Like, he, this is his shot at redemption. And you'd think that he'd sort of take this assignment seriously, but he doesn't at all. Like, the stakes are kind of gone the second he shows up in town. But he does seem to ingratiate himself upon her family and her friends. Like, she comes home. Julia Roberts comes home one day, and he's, like, just yucking it up with her dad. Yeah. And stuff. He seems to get, he's able to get along with everybody. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he interviews all of the exes to sort of find out what their story was. There is a point in here, though, where he gets a, a brief interview with Julia Roberts herself uh, at her friend's hair salon. And they trick him into having his hair dyed rainbow colors, which you said looked extremely 90s. I mean, it's he just has clown hair all of a sudden. Um, that doesn't stick around. He he buys a hat off a kid, and he, I think he has it for about one day, but manages to get it out. I mean, he's got to be a silver fox through the whole movie. Well, imagine this movie where he has that clown hair for the rest of the movie. They should have kept it until the end. They should have kept it until I don't, the end. I don't think Richard Gere's ego would have allowed it. This is almost a two-hour movie. It's 116 minutes. It imagine like two hours. Yeah, it, it's a very bloated movie, and you could have cut a lot of it easily, but... Yeah, I agree. Better movie with the clown here, but let's move on. Because basically what Richard Gere figures out, like the big question is, why does she keep leaving these grooms at the altar? Yeah. What he sort of figures out, each of her exes thought that she liked her eggs prepared in different ways, like scrambled with dill as one of them. Yeah. He... He, go, he basically just starts asking them, like, oh, how did she like her eggs? She's been changing her preferences to suit the person that she's with, yes. basically. Right down to the way she likes her eggs. And this was like, apparently like a big aha moment in the 10 years of writing and rewriting this script. Where it's like, oh, it's how it, this is why she keeps doing it. Because she never actually was herself in these relationships. And I kind of buy that, uh -huh. I guess, to an agree, to a degree. Yeah, I like we, we Like, when we first see her with her current, like, number four, uh, Bob Kelly, Coach Kelly, she's, like, suiting up to go on this big, like, backpacking trip. Yeah, that's what their honeymoon is going to be. Yeah, she's, like, adapting herself to this new guy. And I think that that's, like, 
uh, like an okay way to explain this, but I, I still don't, I don't know, it's still hard to get on board with, with her character. I think because it's so extreme, you know, because the idea is that she, when she's going down the altar and about to make that huge commitment, she has this realization that this man fell in love with a person that isn't actually me. They don't want me, and I don't actually have these things in common with them. And so, therefore, I can't go through the, with this wedding. But it's it's kind of like, shouldn't you have figured this out earlier? Maybe around the proposal stage or sometime after when you were planning the wedding? Especially when it's this repeating pattern. But, I mean, you have to kind of make that leap for this movie to work, right? Because... We're not really in the real world. We're in this world of rom-com that's not, that doesn't need to make perfect sense, I guess. And so much so that we kind of know going in that Julia Roberts and Richard Gere are going to end up together. I mean, they're on the cover together. Either. Yeah, they're on the cover together. I mean, that's the main thing I remember about this is this poster where she's like tying up her laces mm-hmm. in her running shoes. We get scenes of them sort of bonding but there's a sudden turn that is a little hard to buy and sort of makes Julia Roberts' character, again, a little hard to empathize with, I find. And that is um, Coach Kelly is, like, coaching the rehearsal of their wedding right down to, like, not being able to have himself as the groom. He's having Richard Gere fill in for him. Yeah, so he can provide all the direction. And they just start making out in front of him. Which just doesn't make sense. I mean, you don't... But I guess this is this idea that they're just so in love. And she isn't really that conflicted about it. Like, of course, he punches out Richard Gere and is furious and the wedding gets called off. But, like, the moment later, Richard Gere is is suddenly like, Oh, well, you've already paid for the... You've already, like, booked out the wedding. Let's... Just the two of us get married. Which you don't really see... Okay, how did he fall in love with her that much? To make that, that kind that of leap. Why is she suddenly all on board and she doesn't feel guilty or, or conflicted at all? She even shouts after um, Coach Kelly, well, at least it didn't happen in the cere- during the ceremony. That was odd, yeah. Yeah. So it's just, And her friend is like running after him because he's single now. Yeah. And the movie tells you that they got together and they're very happy. So then you don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to feel bad about it. Yeah. But it, it just doesn't make sense. Because I, I can, in other movies, I can buy the sudden flip. But there's usually a little bit more suggestion there of how they got to that place. And I think for this scene to work, you have to have found that there's a scene before where they're having that luau party where Richard Gere kind of tells the tells everybody to stop making fun of Julia Roberts for all the times that she's run away from the altar, and he kind of defends her and checks yeah. in with her. And I think that's the point where she's supposed to be falling in love with him, and we, we're supposed to believe he, he's already gotten there from doing all the interviews with the family and everything. And, then, and it's at the luau that he sort of confronts her, saying she becomes a different person in every relationship that she's in. Um, and I think that that sort of plants the seed in her brain that, oh, maybe that is true. How do I like my eggs? These kind of deep questions. But she doesn't really explore those yet. Mm-hmm. She throws herself into this idea that she's going to ra- uh, marry Richard Gere. Like, do they even have a conversation about, like, are we going to live in New York or are we going to live in this tiny town in Maryland? No, they just play cards and hang out. Yeah, we get a montage of, like, very mundane activities that they have together in the lead up to the wedding. So, obviously, we get to the wedding. She runs away from Richard Gere and jumps into a FedEx truck. Some... The best FedEx product placement this side of Castaway. (laughs) (laughs) Aw. But it's kind of like, well, of course it didn't work out. It's only after all of this that she kind of, like, is able to find herself and figure out what type of eggs that she likes. And she shows up at his apartment, gifts him a pair of running shoes, basically to say my running days are over. No, I think she's handing in her own running shoes. She's giving him her shoes. Oh, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like turning in her badge and her gun. Like, her her runaway bride days are over. Yeah. 
And then there's this kind of cross-cutting that you said almost felt like a dream. Yes, it doesn't feel real. So you see them, they've kind of reunified. They're, they're essentially agreeing to be together. They, they've reconciled. They're kissing and dancing on his patio. And then it starts cutting to scenes of them in a field. No one's around except for this one officiant. And they're getting married. And it just cuts back and forth between his patio and the scene in a field. And you don't really know if this is some dream sequence, this shared hallucination between them or what. It's actually really kind of confusing. But, I mean, obviously it's them getting married ultimately in the future. And it's interesting because it's supposed to prove this contrast over all her other weddings, right? They're doing this unbelievably simple thing in, out just in the wild. Nobody's even really there except for a few family and friends that run up over a hill to greet them after it's all done. Yeah, And still like huge questions are left unanswered because credits roll after that. And we're just treated to a little scene of them in the snow to show that they lasted like a season longer. Yeah, they didn't divorce right away. Which I wonder, did they just drive up to the snow for that one shot? Apparently. Wow. But still, like, where are they living? Are they in New York or Hale? I feel like these these are the, the conversations you need to have before jumping into something like this. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, rom-coms don't need those conversations to happen on screen. That's true. Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan didn't talk about whose apartment they were going to take when they were... They're both New Yorkers, though. That's different. But he lives in a boat. Well, he's not going to stay in that boat. How do you know he doesn't want to stay in the boat? Well, now we're talking about You've Got Mail. <laughs> Which is really easy to do. It's a great movie. It's a very good movie. See, we're, I, I'm but, not a cold-hearted anti-rom-com person. I love You've Got Mail. But my point is is that relationship logistics don't tend to come up in these movies. Because these movies are supposed to be like fun, light. You just You see people fall in love and it makes you feel happy. Right? Like, you know, it doesn't need to be all the nitty-gritty details that's true i thought of another movie that this reminds me of that's later that i like which is the proposal that has a lot of similar themes with sandra bullock and ryan reynolds that's the name of that movie right yeah it has a lot of similar themes like meeting the family out in the country Opposites attract, wedding, yeah. movie. But you actually believe that they fall in love with each other. Yeah, I think that's the big difference. But again, we've got little elements in there. Sandra Bullock, who plays kind of the jerk character, she bonds with his grandma. She There's a scene of her trying to protect the dog from an eagle trying to swoop it away. Yes. You know, you've got you've got these scenes that soften her that I think they, they were missing in this movie somehow, even though there was so much time for that. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there there is a scene where Richard Gere is helping Julia Roberts with her alcoholic father. Because her father is this jovial, light-hearted guy, but we find out that she's kind of taken over the store because her dad doesn't really... He's not able to keep it together anymore since her mom died. And so he goes and he'll go on these drinking binges and she goes and picks him up. But then the, we had a lot of questions about this scene because they he's totally drunk. She drags him into the car. Richard Gere helps get him in there. And then they just leave him in the car and it's not clear did they take his keys away. You know, is anybody going to check in on him? He's just passed out on the front seat. But, you know, but I think that that was a scene that was supposed to soften both characters for us. And you do feel extremely sympathetic with her. And it's nice that he helps out. But I, I feel like it's it's either something about Richard Gere. <laughs> Which is or possible. it's not the right softening scene that we needed. You do wonder to some extent why she's so intent on getting married. And she has this feeling like she needs to find somebody and sign, you know, a document of for this forever commitment. You know, it'd be more interesting if she heard the egg thing where she doesn't know what kind of eggs she likes. And instead of that, figuring that out and then going back to Richard Gere, she just went, you know what? I like my eggs my way and I'm going to live my life my way. And then that's it. 
Do you think it's just small town... I mean, they town... can't do that for the movie. Yeah, but but do you think it's just small town pressure? Like, oh, well, everyone has to be paired up and married. Like, that's just the way things are. Yet, yeah, t- her two best friends are single. That's true. I didn't think about that. Do you think, um, what is it, Laurie Metcalf's character who runs the bakery, is she also single? Or is that ever established? I don't think it's established. Huh. Well, she invites him to the luau. That was pretty nice of her. Yeah. She's got some killer Halloween decorations. She might be my favorite character in the movie. <laughs> and it, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But to some extent when I'm watching this, I'm, I, I'm thinking, you know, Julia, just go your own way. And return those engagement rings because that's weird. Yeah. Be, yeah. Just let the guys have the rings back. Especially if it's a family heirloom. That scene doesn't really add anything to the movie, either. No, it just makes her less sympathetic. I mean, even in the Nicolas Cage Wicker Man, (laughs) which is a terrible movie, they have a line saying that the engagement ring needs to be returned when you break it off. That's just the decent thing to do. She's wearing it around her neck on a necklace. Yeah, and he's citing that as a reason that he's really mad with his former fiance. And she's in a cult, so I think she has a better excuse than Julia Roberts does. Yeah. All right, Sean, I think it might be that time. Do you buy it, rent it, or tape over it? You tape over it. And I wanted to like this movie. Again, like, I want to... Whenever there's something that, like... This is a big pop culture uh, phenomenon in 1999. And it was a big hit. I want to be part of the the fun, yeah. you know, with a movie like this. I really tried... I didn't go in cynical. I really... I was expecting to like this more than Pretty Woman, was my hypothesis. Since I liked... Since most people prefer Sleepless in Seattle to You've Got Mail and are wrong. Uh, <laughs> I just assumed that I would like this. And like this 1999 is like a great year for movies. I really wanted to be on board with this. It comes down to two things. I'll just say it really quick. The two big flaws of this movie. I don't believe their love. No. And I don't like either of them. Yeah. And that's just poison for a movie like this. How did you feel? I think it's tape over it. And it's funny because in the past I've been softer on movies that I really should have said tape over it to. And I was like, oh, I'll give it a rent it. But I'll just going forward, I'm going to be more honest with myself. But for this one, I don't think it's a terrible movie. You know, it's totally watchable. It's it's bright. It's interesting. It's it you know in terms of like the design, the characters. It's got interesting side characters. It's very much a Gary Marshall movie, but it's just not as good as it should be given all of the elements that they had working for them. And I think I think it kind of comes down to the screenplay itself. They just didn't. They just didn't write these characters in a way that would make me really care for them and be involved in them. Maybe too many cooks in the kitchen is another problem. Probably. I am surprised that you said tape over it because when we were reviewing this before the podcast, you said maybe it's a rent it. But although well, that was when the Halloween decorations flashed <laughs> on the screen. I'm a sucker for uh, Halloween being portrayed in the background of movies that are not Halloween movies. I mean, there's a lot of good things about this. We've been pretty hard on it. It's beautifully shot. It has amazing production value, a stacked cast, like all like tons of great character actors. Joan Cusack, Hector Elizondo, Paul Dooley is the dad. Uh, Christopher Maloney plays Coach Kelly. Laurie Metcalf is mm, Laurie Metcalf's great in an uncredited role. Like, was this a favor for Gary Marshall? Who knows? Uh, should be a much better movie than it is. And I, I think that I think that's part part of why we're so hard on it, or at least for me, because I expect more. Although Gary Marshall has made some bad movies like Valentine's Day, but I expect more from some of his earlier work, uh, and especially having two two actors like this who should should be able to do better. Although honestly, Julia Roberts did her best. Like she is great. She's very charming in this movie, and. As much as she can be 
despite her character. I agree with that. Like, I, I think that if you subbed her out with a different, like, with Meg Ryan or Sandra Bullock, it still it, wouldn't it work. It still wouldn't work. Yeah. Whereas I do feel like it would improve if you had a different male lead. Poor Richard Gere. We've <laughs> really been beating up on <laughs> Richard Gere. <laughs> but he deserves it. So, next episode, we're switching back over to Lindsay's collection. Have you decided what we're going to watch? So, our next VHS tape will be Shanghai Noon, starring Owen Wilson and Jackie Chan. Oh, and Lucy Liu, right? Yes. Can I make a confession to you? What? I have never seen Shanghai Noon. That's okay. I feel like it was one of those movies that was on TV all the time. Is that like, that's like early 2000s, maybe? I think so. And there's a sequel too, right? Shanghai Nights? We pretend that doesn't exist. Oh. It's really bad. Yeah. Yeah. Should have stopped at one. It's like yeah. a legally blonde two, red, white, and blonde situation. Yeah. Shanghai Noon came out in, two, in the year 2000, but... What I'll say about this movie is I haven't seen it since around when it came out, which is maybe, I was 10 when this movie came out, so it's, oh my god, that's nearly 20 years ago. Oh my god. Uh, We're old. Now that I feel really old, so I'm curious to see this because I feel like I'm going to see it with very different eyes than I did when I was a kid, but we'll see. It will be nice because those three actors love all three of them. They, I, I feel like those are actors that improve any movie that they're in. They're like the anti-Richard Gere, you might say. <laughs> I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song, Mandatory Groove. You can hear more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. Learn more about Tapeheads at tapeheadspodcast.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Please rate and review on iTunes. That's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Until next time. <laughs>